I do think it's important to have age-appropriate conversations with children about, you know, there's this, there's these thoughts that people have that sometimes boys think they're girls and girls think they're boys, and um, they're emotionally troubled and they're not bad people. They just have emotional difficulties. Uh, it, you're not being kind to them by affirming it, but you can be and you should be sympathetic to what they're going through without, I mean, this is, this is something I say to adults, not children, but it's as if someone had schizophrenia and you're like, yes, there are voices. Hey, Joyful Warriors, Tiffany Justice here, Moms for Liberty. I'm very excited to be joined by a fellow mom, a joyful warrior today, Bethany Mandel. Bethany is the co-author of Stolen Youth, a book about the fact that children were put on the back burner, uh, the, the weight of the world put on their shoulders during COVID, and a nation forgot about the fact that it's different to go from 14 to 15 than it is to go from 34 to 35. Apparently, everybody forgot that part of, of growing up and child development. Uh, Bethany also is the editor of the Heroes of Liberty book series uh, that we are very excited. Uh, many of you I know have those books in your homes or you've donated them to classrooms and schools around the country. So we thank you for that. So Bethany, mom of six, welcome to the Joyful Warrior podcast. Um, I gave you a little intro, a little bio, but tell us about you and your family. Yeah, absolutely. So I live in the suburbs of Washington, D.C., uh, everyone calls it the swamp. Everyone hates on Washington, but I actually love it here. Uh, there's tons of hiking. There's tons of museums. There's a lot to do. We homeschool and uh, we have a hard time finding time to actually do school because there's so much fun stuff to do in the D.C. area. Uh, Mount Vernon, you name it. So uh, I will stand for the Washington, D.C. area all other times except for COVID. COVID was uh, not a great time to live here. I almost joined you down there in Florida. <laughs> Your co-author from of Stolen Youth, Carol Markowitz, actually did yes. uh, come down to, 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 and move down to Florida. She was going to join us today, but I think she's a little under the weather. But she she did decide to make that move from New York to Florida. So I think there are a lot of moms and dads who would understand um, your feelings. So tell us, what was it like? Um, I think you had five kids. You have a how old is your youngest now? My youngest is almost five months old. So when COVID started, I had a, my fourth was six months old. And, um, you know, she, she basically never went into a museum. She never went into a library. Um, she had a very stunted sort of early infant and infancy and childhood because she didn't get any of the experiences that her siblings got, um, in, just in life, not even in the DC area. And it's funny yesterday, uh, I just got the Kennedy centers pamphlet for the 23, 24 season. And I spent $600 on a couple of shows. And I realized like, this is the first time half of my children will be going to the Kennedy center because the last thing we did was in December of 2019, uh, we went to a show at the Kennedy Center, and that was it. That's the last time we did it. They they hung on to the mask mandate and the vaccine mandates for so long at the Kennedy Center that, um, you know, we haven't been in years. So it was shocking to me. D.C. is one of my favorite cities. I went to college at, at American University oh, yeah. for a time. Yeah, really love D.C. And you're right, there is so much to do there. And, and my husband and I brought the kids up. We have four kids, 18 through 11, but a few years ago before covid 
uh, we brought the kids up to DC and, and spent, uh, you know, over a week visiting in amazing museums. Uh, for people that don't know, the, the Smithsonian museums are free. Yeah. Um, so you need to find some place to stay when you're here. But truly, you can have a, tr a visit to Washington, D.C. and really not spend a lot of money, yeah. uh, but still get to go and do some amazing uh, things and see some amazing things. So I agree with you. D.C. is is wonderful. So you had a newborn, six months old at the start mm -hmm. of COVID. Yep. Uh, you now have six children. You've had two children since then. Yeah. So tell us the age range of your kids. So my oldest is nine. And so we go from nine all the way down to almost five months old. So I've had two COVID babies, which was uh, an experience. Thankfully, I'm so grateful we had both home at home. And so we didn't have to deal with the Michigas, like the craziness in hospitals, because it was just so wild what they were putting women through. And it's it's been it's been very illustrative of like the medical industry because they're holding on to a lot of regulations and rules that they put in place during COVID that they don't need to have. And they just want to have them because they don't want to have three people in the room when they do an ultrasound. And so when you know, COVID, they say that there's only one guest per, and they're like, that's just what they want. They're not allowing people to stay over in, in a hospital room because of COVID, because COVID spreads at night as you know. Yeah, or, 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 or in, and COVID doesn't spread when you're eating Cheez-Its or when you're sitting next to someone on the plane, but when you're deplaning, make sure to stay six feet apart. Correct. So now we start to dive into all of the ridiculousness, yes. right? So yes. I'm a mom, you're a mom. I really want my kids to trust me. Um, in, in learning more about your experience and Carol's experience and some of the things that you write about in the book, as moms, our kids were looking at us and it was really hard for me, and, and maybe let you can tell me a little bit. The masks didn't work no. in the way that they wanted masks to work, but they wanted us to tell our children that the masks worked, and I felt like that was lying to my yeah. kids, that I wasn't being honest with them. Tell us, what was your experience like with little kids and all of these different COVID restrictions that started popping up? We're looking like, I remember like March 2020, right? Yeah. That's kind of the the month where everything came to a head. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't lie to my children. Um, I told them they will tell you this and it is false. I, I think you know, it's funny. My, my daughter is going to summer camp this summer. And on the, on the application for summer camp, they ask like, what was the impact of COVID on your child psychologically and emotionally? Because last year in 2022, they had a lot of kids sort of dealing with PTSD symptom, symptoms from their COVID experience. And so they asked preemptively on the form this year, tell us, how is your child handling the aftermath of COVID? And I said, my daughter has developed a very healthy distrust of authority. That That is our COVID experience. Um, we read something or hear something and we wonder, hmm, I wonder if that's true, because a lot of things were not true. There's been a lot of lies thrown at us. There's been a lot of diversions. I mean, thankfully, we homeschooled. And so it, we were more, much more isolated from the impact than most people. But it was funny. I, I had uh, someone here yesterday evaluating my almost two-year-old for speech delay. And she's from the county. And I was asking about occupational therapy for one of my other school-age children and if he's able to do it because he's not enrolled in the public school system. And, um, and she said, and I asked her like, is it back to normal? Is it like off of zoom and no masks and everything? And she said, yes, finally, like very, very recently in within the last few weeks, that is the case. And I was like, 
That's crazy. I, I just can't fathom that you're, you were in 2023 and still not back to normal. And I said, I've had him in private, out of pocket, out of network, occupational therapy for the last three years because that was where I could guarantee he would have total normalcy and have the best chance at quality occupational therapy. Occupational therapy is very physical. And he was, if he had done it through the county or if he had done it um, with someone within our insurance provider network, he would have been on Zoom. That is not a thing. You cannot do occupational therapy on Zoom. And so I was talking to this woman from the county and she's like, yeah, well, we all did the best we could do. And I was like, no, the best we could do really depended on if you were willing to pay out of pocket. And I was. And so a person of means and like, are we rich? Absolutely not. We are solidly middle class. We spent a lot of money because it was a priority for us to get him quality therapy. Um, It should not have cost us $15,000 to do that, but it did. And that's that's just what had to happen over COVID. But this assertion that like we all did the best we could do is nonsense. Because if you had the means, you were what you were able to do was very different than someone who didn't have means. Uh, and this was something that was incredibly frustrating all throughout COVID was the people who screamed about equity and uh, check your privilege and all of those things went silent when the public schools closed. They all put their kids in private. They all put their kids in pods. They got their kids tutors. And the kids in the inner city, in areas all across the United States, Los Angeles, Chicago, New York, you name it, all of those kids who actually relied on the public school system for a lot of different things, not just education, were left out in the dark and no one advocated for them. So I was on the school board at the time. You're absolutely right. All of a sudden, all the kids got internet access. I was like, well, they could have used this before. Why were we waiting for a pandemic to give these kids internet access? That, if it was so easy to do, why did we not do that, yeah. right? Kids don't have access to computers at home. Oh my gosh, all of a sudden, it was so easy to give them a computer to use to be able to do their schoolwork at home, to be able to do homework. Why didn't we do that before if it was so easy to do? So there were a lot of questions Um, that I had as a school board member, as a mom, I have a child who has uh, language delay issues, had some speech issues, um, and was getting services at school with a a masked uh, facilitator and with a mask on. And and it was just, I saw him regressing. And and I, so with COVID, here I am, a mom, a school board member, I'm seeing my children in real time getting hurt. I'm having parents coming saying my kids are getting hurt. You know, you have someone from the county saying we did the best that we could do, I don't think that's true. No. I don't think we did the best that we could do. When did we ever, ever use children to protect adults yeah. or put children last? When have we ever done that as a nation? Yeah, that's exactly um, right. And so just some reflections. Yeah. No, I mean, that that's exactly. We sacrificed the well-being of an entire generation to perhaps save an elderly population. That um, That's not the responsibility of eight-year-olds to pause their development for two years in order to maybe maybe save an 80-year-old. Well, and then we saw teachers in line for vaccines first, yep. put there by the teachers' unions, and then schools still so would not open, that's, right? That's the funny thing. They put the teachers at the head of the line, then they didn't open. Yep. And where were the people who were screaming about protecting the oldest generation when 30-year-old teachers jumped before nursing home residents? 
Where were and they? And then still didn't open schools. Yeah. yeah, where were they? I don't know. They were with the librarians who didn't care when their libraries were being called media centers and they were being renamed yeah. as media center specialists and books replaced with computers. They were in that same place. I guess it wasn't politically expedient. And so I think that's really where we came to as American moms. You and Carol have uh, talked before, have written about, you know, how have these issues that are human issues that affect kids and families and the future of our country, how have we become so politicized, right? How, yeah. how have these issues become so partisan? And I mean, some thoughts from you on that. And then maybe, because I know a lot of our moms, Bethany, you know, they they were never like staunch Republican GOP operatives. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, we've got moms who were Democrats, who voted uh, for Obama, who voted for, you know, maybe Hillary Clinton, maybe even voted for Biden and then saw elected officials just turn yeah. their backs on our families. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, I mean, we kind of, in our book, Soul and Youth, we used COVID as sort of a jumping off point and then focused on this sort of woke assault on childhood. And it is very partisan because we are the ones who are having children and they would like to foment a revolution, but they're, they're not having the next generation. They can't indoctrinate their own children because they're not having them. They're like marinating in anti-natalist propaganda. And so we're the breeders. We're, this is like Handmaid's Tale. We're the ones that are breeding the next generation. And they're trying to subvert our parenting decisions and our parenting everything um, by trying to capture our children. In the, and this is sort of what we go into in Stolen Youth, they're trying to capture them via the schools, via the media, uh, even at their pediatrician's office. They're getting questions about their gender ideology and their gender identity and, uh, you know, starting at 11, 12 years old. Um, this is a across the board, multi-prong assault on childhood. It's an assault on innocence. It's an assault on resiliency. And the end goal is to create little foot soldiers in this woke revolution. And I think that every normal American parent, whether they be right, left, up or down, realize that this is not what's best for their children. What's best for their children is to grow up roughly how we did, you know, like, was there politics? Did it get nasty? Sure. That's always been the case throughout human history. Like Julius Caesar to now, like it's always been a little dicey, but the thing that's unique about this moment is that they are trying to capture children still in childhood. And, um, you know, it runs the gamut from uh, sort of normal sort of brainwashing that I think we were somewhat subject to as children, um, all the way through to like messages that would result in their sterilization. And this is, this is, you know, a lot of people have told me, you know, People have always been yelling about the kids. They've always been yelling. And this is a unique moment in politics because people realize that the enemy is unique. It is powerful. They control every every top echelon of Fortune 500 companies. Uh, Target is selling pride clothing for babies in a onesie. Um, and there, it goes from there to the school districts, to the American Academy of Pediatrics. Um, and the to Disney, and the whole effort is uh, fairly coordinated, and the end goal is revolution. It's to sort of pull the rug out from children and have them be so disoriented that they don't even know the difference between a man and a woman at three years old. 
So I think you're right. I think there's always been some element of, you know, that, that there, there's always been some element of, of teaching that's been happening. I mean, I remember going to school and talking about climate change and talking about mm-hmm. the environment and save the whales, right? Someone yes. used that example the other day. I thought it was a great example because I remember being environmentally conscious yep. and thinking Recycling. to myself, okay, we're going to recycle, right? Yes, recycle. We're going to recycle and we care about the earth and Greenpeace. And, you know, I was part of that movement, right? Yep. Um, and, and understood it to, you know, and, and I would come home and I'd talk to my parents about it and we would recycle and they would go along with it because it's what I wanted to do. And it was new for them, but we Captain did it, planet. right? And, planet. Yes, right. Exactly. But but all of a sudden now we have wind farms in the in the ocean that are that there's concerns that perhaps whales are being killed and no one's really concerned about the whales anymore, right? So all of the things that we would normally see that people were concerned about are aren't aren't the the primary concern. Let's talk about public schools. You homeschool. Carol's yeah. kids were in public school in New York, and yeah. I think they were still in public school in Florida. Um, she got a front row seat. Uh, schools in New York had kids sitting in 40-degree weather, 30-degree weather on benches or on the ground, eating their lunches outside um, to keep them safe from COVID. Um <laughs> Right. American Academy of Pediatrics says babies don't need to see their mom's face. Mm-hmm. You and I are both moms. We know that's not true. Yep. Right? Yep. And so where do we go from here to see these institutions, to see schools, which you would normally want to believe? You may not understand or agree with everything being taught, but you want to believe that they have your children's best interest at heart, right? That they're not going to actively harm your child. And yet we have schools that are teaching things in the classroom that are directly antithetical to the teaching of in the home. And so let's just talk a little bit about these institutions that we would have trusted, normally would have trusted that we really can't trust anymore. No. no. And that's that's the message that we really try to drive home in Stolen Youth, that all of these institutions that you should be able to trust, you should no longer trust. And it's it's really sad to me the the depths to which my trust have fallen. Yesterday when the county was here talking to me about my my two-year-old's speech delay, they said, well, the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends. And I was like, I could not possibly care less what the American Academy of Pediatrics put a f- mask on your face when you're a caregiver for a three-year-old thinks. I no longer trust them. That right. You think that, that like throwing those credentials at me is going to convince me? You have done the opposite, my friend, and I no longer trust the advice that you're giving me on behalf of the Academy of Pediatrics. Like, the American Academy of Pediatrics, who used to warn about screen time. Remember that? Screen time is the enemy. And then let's put children at five years old on Zoom for eight hours a day. It will turn out fine. Narrator, it did not turn out fine. Did not turn out fine. All of the all of the recommendations and the, I to me honestly the recommendations like about the COVID vaccine for kids that drastically differed pregnant from pregnant moms yes so I was pregnant when I got the COVID vaccine whatever everything turned out fine but thank God yeah all of the, and that wasn't the American Academy of Pediatrics that was that was other credentials yes. um, all of all of their advice was bad. And it was contrary to the WHO, especially on masks, on vaccines for the for the kids, for COVID vaccines for the kids. That, to me, was not as bad as their silence. Their silence on um, or their withdrawal of facts, withdrawing the idea that 
Children need to see faces. Babies need to see faces. That they disappeared a pamphlet about that from their website uh, and pretended like it didn't exist. And the gaslighting they did. The, they, they tweeted over the course of COVID, there's no studies that indicate that masking children and or masking around children is detrimental. Yes, there are no studies because you haven't studied it. And if you had tried five years ago, it never would have passed an ethics committee because it's unethical to do that. What we did was treat children as guinea pigs. And that is yes. the chapter of one of, that's the title of one of our chapters, Kids as Guinea Pigs. They used our kids at, in a giant sociological experiment. And we are seeing the results. We are seeing a, an entire generation of kids who, if you were in high school during COVID, now you're in college. The levels of mental health, depression, anxiety, you name it, are astronomically and histor at historically high levels. Why do you think that is? Perhaps because you stole their entire high school experience from them, their prom, their high school graduation. Everything was stolen from them. All of their field trips. I was, I, I, I'm sorry, Tiffany, I could like talk about this forever and you're just going to have to interrupt me. No, please me. go ahead. I, I, I'm I've, a joyful warrior, but I really I feel so, your outrage. I'm so You're, angry. And oh, I'm man. still so angry. So angry. I was, at, I was at a play with my, with my children three days ago. We went to see Peter and the Wolf. And the kids behind me, first of all, half the kids were still in masks voluntarily. Why? I'm not sure. It's sad. They've, they've really screwed with an entire generation's sense of danger, their sense of uh, everything, self. They, a lot of those kids were hiding behind the masks because they were, they were feeling self-conscious. Um, I was there. And the kids that were in the class, in the, at the play were, so we homeschool, but you can buy individual tickets. And so we're at this play with all different schools from the area. And they're all between first and third grade, but skewing more to the third grade. Uh, those kids were in kindergarten when COVID started. In third grade, they were in kindergarten. The woman asked, and I like, I'm going to try not to cry. The woman asked, have you ever been on a field trip? And none of them had ever been on a field trip. This was their first field trip in the end of their third grade year. They had never been on a field trip. My homeschool kids, that was like a normal Tuesday. They just were like, yeah, let's go to the play. And we went to the play. We've had a completely normal experience. And the woman said, "Is how many of you, this is your first field trip? Almost every single hand went up. That is inexcusable and disgusting. You don't get those years back. And you were absolutely right to go from 35 to 36 NBD, to go from kindergarten to third grade They'll never get those yeah, years huge. back. They'll never get that back. They've never been on a Fargan field trip. Yep. That was the most it's exciting horrible. thing about and, and, about and like nobody. Yeah, to be able to go with your friends, to be able to experience the different bus. things, to go to the museum, go to the beat, right? A hundred percent. I totally agree. I remember um so I'm on school board, I'm watching all this happen. We had a reopening plan. It said that masks would be the exception, not the rule. Very quickly, we recognized that six feet in any public school is impossible. Right. And masks became the rule. And then I worked really, really hard uh, to fight against the forced masking um, and then fought to get back into schools. I remember speaking at a school board meeting and I had been, my, my son was getting a character award, a word for character, and they still weren't allowing parents to come to the schools. And... Uh, 
I was on uh, social media and I saw that a woman's club had gone into one of the schools and given uh, awards for pumpkins. So parents weren't allowed, but now community partners, I guess that was okay. And I was so angry because my son wanted, I had, I, you know, he was in third grade. Yeah. He had not seen, I had not come into his classroom to volunteer. Yeah. I hadn't been there for any awards ceremonies or performances, right? And I had done that with all the other kids, all my other kids, I was always there. You know, And I went to that school board meeting and man, I just ripped them. I was so angry. I said, how dare you? You know why Let you weren't allowed? Let us back in these schools. You know why you weren't allowed? Oh, well, please, why? Because you're annoying. Parents ask too <laughs> many questions. They it's have true. too many opinions. They used COVID as an excuse to keep you out, but not your neighbor. Because the neighbor d- doesn't care the way that you care. So you're going to be annoying and you're going to be asking questions in a way that the pumpkin award person is not going to be asking questions. And this to me is the most absurd part of the assault on parental rights. This idea that we're all a village. I mean, it goes back to Hillary Clinton. The village is raising there. And Biden has been saying this plenty as well. You know, well, there's no such thing as someone else's kids. Oh, really? Because Parents were the ones who were freaking Zoom butlers for a year and a half, while the teachers were vacationing in Puerto Rico. That's that's what I remember. And the gaslighting and the reason why they want... Some of the teachers, to be fair, some of the teachers had were teaching class and also had their kids on Zoom. So there were some teachers who really... But you're right. Some of the teachers unions people, I mean, the teachers union in general turn their backs on our kids. And that's why I always try to differentiate between, I say the K-12 cartel. My friend Max Eden uh, Mm -hmm. came up with that and it was so true. You've got this K-12 cartel and then you've got teachers who are kind of along for the ride. But Bethany, I don't think that they buy into all of this stuff. Well, if they don't, then they should have staged. I like, I, I... I get it. They should have staged protests. They should have spoken up. They should have been on television saying, this is not, they, the union does not represent me. I didn't see that. I saw die-ins with, with teachers saying, if you send me back to my job, I will die. That's what I saw. So I got the funeral requests. I got the, I got bills for people's funerals and, and feces sent to my home when we were trying to reopen schools. I get it. Yeah. 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 So right. I I agree with you that the unions are the enemy, but I will not I will not grant that individual teachers were innocent bystanders because I didn't hear them and I didn't see them. Sorry. No, you're not wrong. And so, you know, Moms for Liberty, we start January of 2021 because Tina and I are on school wards and we see nobody's really fighting for kids besides parents. Yep. But man, Bethany the, pay, the school districts, they pick you off one by one. I went into my son's school and they had a police officer follow me the entire day. Meanwhile, I had just served for four years as a school board member, um, had gone through numerous background checks, had never had any issue uh, in any school that I had ever visited or any history of violence in the past. But I had a police officer with me that whole day because I was a, a problem to them and I was yep. someone that needed to be controlled. In fact, the deputy superintendent in a storage closet said to me, I thought you were on our team. And I said, oh, I must have forgotten to get my jersey when I left the school board. Is that what you mean? I'm just supposed to what? Go along with everything the district says. I'm a mom. 
I'm here to advocate for my child. That's my number one priority. Yep. And so kind of let's talk about parental rights. So for, first of all, if you haven't read Stolen Youth, I'm going to read it this summer. I have read parts of it, but I have not read the entire thing. I promise you, Bethany, I'm going to read the whole thing. So, and, and But I encourage our moms to read it too. So just give us, before we move on to parental rights, give us just a, a kind of a synopsis and what parents can expect when they're reading this book. So we wanted this to be a book that you can pick up and read on the beach. It is not dense. It is not uh, overly academic and intellectual. It is a book that you can pick up and read the stories of individual parents who have been facing this woke assault on their children's childhoods from every different possible angle. I spoke to children's book authors. I spoke to editors at uh, major publishing houses who, who publish children's books. I spoke to pediatricians, and I spoke to endocrinologists who have experience with uh, with the impact of hormones uh, that are being pushed on our children for gender ideology purposes. Uh, I spoke to a lot, a lot of people for this book. And, um, and we really wanted to arm parents with the information necessary to fight back against this because it feels like it's a David and Goliath fight because it is. Um, but it also feels like Things are happening every single day, and it's impossible to keep track of all of this and really synthesize it into an ideology because we're seeing like individual stories like Target is selling a, a transgender onesie to babies and uh, Bud Light is doing this. And uh, my school district had a sleepover and they grouped uh, the counselors by gender ideology instead of biological sex and all these things. And it's, it's hard to- There's a drag queen in my kid's kindergarten yes. classroom. Why is yes. that happening? No, legit, yeah. legit. Yeah. And so- parents are seeing all of this and don't totally understand how it's all interconnected and how they can perfect, pr protect their child. And so that was why Carol and I wrote Stolen Youth, because we really wanted to arm parents with a book that they could sit down and, and understand and be sort of drawn into and sort of close at the end of it and take a deep breath and be like, oh, wow, that's, that's a thing. And then take yeah. that information and uh, protect our children from having their youth stolen, which is what's currently yeah, happening. Yeah, and to know that they're not alone. Yes. And to know that they're not alone. You know, Carol's been writing for the New York Post, and I know she's written about culture and mm -hmm. relationships and sex and all this yep. stuff. And then, you know, COVID happens and she starts writing about kids and about education and about what's happening that she's seeing in New York. And you know, I want to talk about Heroes of Liberty. Before we end, I want you to talk about the work that you've done with that book series. I want to talk about parental rights in general. Yes. So we say at Moms for Liberty, we do not co-parent with the government. I said that to the superintendent when I was on the school board when he wanted to create a medical committee um, and bring doctors in. And I said, you don't understand how this works. I take recommendations from my children's doctor, but I choose whether or not to, to, to actually implement those things. You don't yeah. get to choose the doctor that gives me advice or force me to use it. I don't co-parent with the government. Yes. $150,000 worth of t-shirts, right? Later, we are now 280 chapters in 45 states with all of these moms and dads who are saying, our parental rights do not stop at the classroom door. Yeah. But I want to have an honest conversation because you homeschool. There are a lot of moms and dads that are choosing to homeschool now if they're able to, but we know that not everyone is able to do that right now in this moment. Is it a reasonable expectation to say that my parental rights do not stop at the classroom door? Or do you think that by sending your children to public school, which is a government school, that you are in some ways giving up some of those 
rights are certainly allowing people to play. I mean, it, the truth is, you know, your kids are at school for a large portion of that day. Where's the balance? Yeah. I mean, I can tell you what I think should be the case, but what is the reality? Um, and it, you know, the nature of public education in the United States is hyper-localized. And so Carol is having a much better experience in Florida than she did in uh, in New York. And that will be the case. But a lot of her kids' teachers, even though they are in Florida, I mean, Florida is like this microcosm, like it's like this magical land where you actually have a governor who cares. And the rest of America, maybe Texas is a little bit of an exception as well. Um, the rest of America, there is not someone who is at a bully pulpit advocating the way DeSantis is. And he's not afraid to be called a racist for saying, like, you can't teach uh, reparations in the advanced placement history class. Uh, and so everyone said, well, you're canceling black history. And he was not afraid to say, like, I don't care. Call me a racist. But you're not teaching reparations as part of the civil rights movement and slavery. Like, teach civil rights. Teach slavery. Reparations is not the solution. And that that part of the AP curriculum, you will be cutting out or you will not be welcome in the state of Florida. He is an exception because he is willing to be the bad guy. Um, But parents need to understand that no matter where they live, their kids' teachers are getting cues from unions, from their teachers' colleges, you name it, from the American Library Association. Yes, you name it, across the board. They're all getting cues that this is the narrative. They're not teaching children how to think, they're teaching them what to think. And they have a very strict script of what they are teaching. And, you know, Planned Parenthood is allowed into uh, school districts now, just not just to teach sexual education, but also to teach gender ideology. And so, you know, Planned Parenthood, congratulations, I'm really happy for you. Teen pregnancy has gone down and they need another income stream. And so they're now selling uh, puberty blockers to, and it's, it's a business. They're selling them to t- two point one billion dollars. Two point one billion dollars yeah. uh, with an eleven percent increase uh, projected every yep. year, and they are selling them with almost no sort of barrier be- of care. It's like you come in at fifteen years old to Planned Parenthood and say, "I think I'm a boy today," and they say, "Here are some hormones. We support you." We are gender affirming. And so Planned Parenthood isn't just a place where you have to be scared that your daughter walks into when she's sort of in a rough place, um, but you have to be scared of your son walking into Planned Parenthood now. This is um, this is the name of the game. And, um, you know, the nowhere is safe and no one is safe. Um, and it's it's really uh, it's really pretty terrifying there. It's. I think scariest for parents who are already vulnerable, if they already have a child who is suffering from mental health. And this was something, um, if you read nothing else, I think the introduction is um, really gripping because I tell the story of a mother whose child um, spiraled mentally and emotionally during COVID and became suicidal. And they found an intake patient uh, program and because of COVID, because of COVID in like giant quote marks, um, they weren't allowed in. They didn't have sort of supervision and visitation over this inpatient program. And eight out of 12 kids at the end of it think they're non-binary. And the mom 
and dad take the kid out of this inpatient program, which, by the way, has not done much to actually help the underlying issues of why she ended up there in the first place, that she is in a mental health crisis. Now they've added another diagnosis onto her plate because of their... Snake oil. Yes. Because of their own ideology, they've now inserted gender dysphoria into this girl's life, which... She did not, she could not take more cards on the stack of cards and they put one there. And then the parents tried to give her a sense of normalcy again post COVID and they sent her to school. Guess what the school did? They affirmed the gender ideology that was inserted into their daughter, like, like a chip at this inpatient program. The amount of energy and fighting that these parents had to do to fight to get their child basic mental health care in the face of experts, quote unquote, experts, same experts as the American Academy of Pediatrics, all of these experts who exacerbated the problem instead of helping them work together to help her. So it feels like American parents are, are when we're dealing with, I'll call the enemy in this space. And if you're trying to teach your a child something that's antithetical to the teaching uh, in the home, then you are the enemy to the parent. Uh, so, you know, I try to be clear about that, right? But when we're dealing with these issues, it, it almost feels like you go through that cycle of it's not happening, it's happening, but it's rare, and then it's happening and it's good and necessary. Yeah. And with, right? And and so with this issue, you talk about a child with, with mental health issues. Um, my own daughter during COVID, 15 years old, um, I watched her get quarantined back to back um, and it was awful. I watched her in bed just... I mean, what was I going to, what, what could I possibly do, right? She fell into a black hole with two AP courses. It was horrible uh, to watch. And, and um, I can only imagine if your child was dealing with other issues. And so um, children who are on the autism spectrum, who are vulnerable children falling into this yeah. gender ideology, social contagion, we're seeing it. Um, moms and dads are seeing it across the country. And you're right. Schools are actively working against parents, keeping secrets from parents. So um, lots of concerns uh, for parents. Any advice about when you're engaging with your child's school? Um, I always like to get advice from moms. How do you empower your child to stand up for themselves, yeah. right? And to have agency and to say, like, my, you know, my mom says this isn't what I do yeah. or, you know, I don't want to do that. I love to hear from moms about how you empower your kids. So I think that the term groomer has been thrown around too flippantly. But what is happening in schools is the textbook definition of grooming. Teaching children to keep secrets about sexuality from their parents is grooming. Whether it's these teachers who are trying to be the the groomers or not, they are ripening those children for grooming from them or from someone else. And so every parent no matter what your ideology is, has to make very clear with their child that there are no secrets. We, we, this is an open book. This is an open door. And um, I'm not going to be angry for you coming to me and telling me that something happened, but I need to know because it is my job and my only job and no one else's job to take care of you. I'm the only person who has your best interests at heart. And I think that a lot of the vaccine for a lot of this stuff is keeping a very open dialogue with with children um, and being honest with them as best you can in an age-appropriate way. And so because my kids hear me doing things like this, 
<laughs> they're like, you know, in another room. There's a lot of times where my own children, in my opinion, probably have been too exposed to these ideas than I would have liked, you know, if I lived in a bubble in which I wasn't a writer who talked about this for a living. Um, but I do think it's important to have age-appropriate conversations with children about, you know, there's this, there's these thoughts that people have that sometimes boys think they're girls and girls think they're boys and um, they're emotionally troubled and they're not bad people. They just have emotional difficulties. Uh, it, you're not being kind to them by affirming it. You're, if, if Sally decides that she's Billy, don't, don't call her he because that, that's not the reality, but you can be and you should be sympathetic to what they're going through without I mean this is this is something I say to adults not children but it's as if someone had schizophrenia and you're like yes there are voices Mm, yes yeah oh I talk about the anorexia part I mean I you know I've I've raised a daughter if my daughter was anorexic Mm -hmm. um would I encourage that yeah you look fat would I encourage yeah, would I tell her that, right, would I say, oh, yeah, you do look fat or, you know, are you sure you want to eat that cookie mm-hmm. or, you know, maybe you should take these appetite suppressants or let's go look into lap band surgery or liposuction? No, of course yep. not. And you would be charged with child abuse, by mm-hmm. the way, when they test for BMI scores yep. that your child was had had a low weight and then maybe CPS would call you because maybe you're neglecting your child and not feeding them. And you them. are, That would be way. child abuse. You are. And you are, by <laughs> the way. Right. If you were, and, and so, uh, you know, we tell parents when it comes to the gender issue, you need to parent this issue like any other issue yep. you would parent with your kid. Sometimes the kindest thing you say to your child is no. They may not want to hear it, yep. but sometimes it is the best and the kindest thing you can say. Beth, what is it like to homeschool? Um, I, I tell me how many kids are actively what you would call in a homeschool program or with a curriculum that you're working with. So you have six under nine. And what is that like? Uh, it's delightful. I, I really could not. I, I couldn't. I don't have a bad word to say about it. Um, my oldest is in third grade. Then I have a second grader. And then I have a kindergartner. And then I have three kids younger that are helpful. they're so helpful so helpful um but it's really it's it's so it's so nice I mean you think about sort of what you want kids to come out of their high school experience with at the end of it or their schooling experience you want them to have a curiosity for learning you don't want them to have read every single book and know every single thing on the planet there isn't like this set of uh, attainments that we all have to have at the end of it and to me, what's most important is that they have very strong relationships with each other, um, because I don't care if they have a strong relationship with the kid across the street who happens to go to school with them. I want them to have a strong relationship with me and each other. Um, and I want them to have a curiosity and a thirst for learning. And I want them to have an appreciation for the most beautiful things that humans have created that feel like it's the hand of God working through humans. And so, you know, speaking of living in the DC area, like we go to the National Gallery extremely frequently, and I'm going to share a secret with your listeners. Um, If you get there at 10 a.m., write it open, you can find street parking literally right out front. Like you can walk across the street and you're inside. Don't tell too many people that. So that's what we do. We park at 9.45 and stand there and wait for it to open. We spend two hours, we bring our lunch and then we get ice cream and that, and we leave at 1 p.m. And it's like amazing, it's so great. And my kids 
will walk in front of a Van Gogh and say, that looks familiar. Is that the same person who painted Starry Night? And you're like, yes, it is. Yes, it is. And the pictures that I have of my children standing in front of Monet, Manet, Van Gogh, Cassatt, like you name it. Like these are household names to my children. Um, We go there listening to classical music and they love Vivaldi in the spring. That's like, that's, that's what they love to listen to. Like that is so incredibly valuable. And at the end of it, they will have this basis of knowledge but more importantly, they will have a love of learning and it will be uh, much more natural to them. I mean, I think about the public education that I got as a kid and like, it was fine. It was fine. But I didn't really develop a thirst for learning until I had children of my own, until I realized like, oh my God, there's so many books to read and there's so many things to do. And it's because I am their mother and I care most about them. And so I want to make them better by making myself better, if that makes sense. And so like before we read, um, before we read about the, the American Revolution, I was like, I'm just going to read like Walter Isaacson's like Ben Franklin. And I took away so much from it. And, um, and that's, you know, that's the beauty of homeschooling. It's not just for children. It's also for us moms. That's awesome. And then your kids see you learning and you and I both know that you can talk to your kids about a lot of things, but they certainly watch your behavior and your actions and they model those things. And and they're always paying attention and watching to the way that you behave and act and what you do. So if you're picking up a book instead of your phone, then they maybe are saying, let's pick, I I know it's hard, but (laughs) I, well, but I mean, but with, with everything, you know, and, and, and I think, you know, technology, as you stated in the beginning of the interview, was so, you know, moms were, moms were told, be careful about screen mm-hmm. time, yes. right? Which was correct. Um, it's good to have moderation, yes. right? And I think Americans have struggled to find moderation when it comes to the phone. Um, and, you know, even moms we knew with TV and stuff to kind of, you know, that a little bit was okay, but a lot wasn't good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think Americans are still struggling to really find a way to, moder- you know, to, to use technology, um, you know, in moderation yeah. and, and American moms and dads are struggling with that. But certainly when the public school system is forcing your child onto the device constantly, yep. it makes it a lot harder to do. So I think there are still a lot of moms that are thinking to themselves or dads like, gosh, I know that where my child is in school right now is not good for them. I know and I'm hearing that things are happening that aren't good, but I'm scared about homeschooling. I don't know if I can do it or if I'm going to be good enough to do it or if my kids are going to get what they need to be successful in life. So for those parents that are listening to this that are thinking about homeschool or making a change in their child's education but nervous about it, um, what, what what would you say to those moms and dads? So, so many things. Um, my entire conclusion is actually like, so you want to homeschool. What do you do? And it's like a roadmap to this is how you do it. Um, but I've been getting that question so much that, um, so I run an Instagram account called write books for kids and it's the number four. So write books for kids. And we've had so many people ask us that question. I, I co-run it with another homeschool mom named Rachel Reeves, uh, that we're starting a Substack in the next couple weeks. And it's going to be like, this, I, we haven't officially announced it because we're still waiting on a, a couple like legal components. Um, but it's basically going to be like, 
you're a conservative parent concerned about the future of America and you're planning on homeschooling or you are homeschooling, this is your conservative resource for books and curriculum. Um, and we're going to have a Substack. We'll have awesome. a podcast. We'll have blog posts. We'll have um, mom reading clubs. Uh, you name it. Like we're really, really, this is going to be the focus of my attention because I have gotten this question so many times over the course of promoting stolen youth that I was like, what? And then the next question was what next? And I'm like, I think this is my what's next. Like people are aware of the problem. I think a lot of parents want, yep. I think a lot of parents really are, are know that they want to do something and it's hard to know, you know, you're coming out of a school, you don't want to put your child yeah. right back into another situation, right? Where they're being indoctrinated or you have more concerns. It's hard to change your kid's school. Yeah, absolutely. It's not easy for them. It's not easy for you as a family. And so parents want to do that in a thoughtful manner. I think the Substack is so exciting. Thank you. When you set it up, you can come back on and talk about it a little bit. And we're actually starting a book club launching uh, at the beginning of the school year on a couple different, uh, yep, we're going to be hitting a different issue every month. And Love so um, we can maybe work in conjunction with you and share some Amazing. of that. Um, so last Heroes of Liberty, um, tell us how did you, yep, maybe show us some yeah. of the books. I know our moms are going to be familiar with some of them. We have the Moms for Libraries program yeah. out of uh, the Moms for Liberty Foundation, Catherine Rahimian out of uh, California, such an amazing mom who has headed up that. And there you're showing Thomas Sowell, who is this one? I Amy can't, Coney there's a bit Barrett. of a reflection. It's backwards. Amy Coney Barrett, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, there's just a little glare yeah. on the. So tell us about Heroes of Liberty. Yeah. How did it start? Um, how is it written? What what can parents expect if they start getting the books? Yeah, so we we kind of wanted to to set ourselves up as a conservative alternative to Scholastic. Um, there's a lot of the Who Was books that um, are not always great, um, and you know you walk into a, a bookstore or a library and you're assaulted with biographies of uh, Michelle Obama, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, um, Sonia Sotomayor, and like. We own Sonia Sotomayor. Like, it's good. But mainstream publishing houses are never going to publish a biography of John Paul II um, or Amy Coney Barrett or Thomas Sowell. And so we wanted to have books that are beautifully illustrated that tell the stories of these great, not necessarily Americans, because we have like uh, Margaret Thatcher and Winston Churchill. We have people who are not American. But we wanted to expose children to heroes of liberty, people who are heroes that they can sort of look up to and learn their stories. And um, yeah, so that's what that's what we've been doing. We have Abraham Lincoln coming out pretty soon. Um, Clarence Thomas was a recent one. Um, and uh, John Paul II was written by uh, Rick Santorum. That's so awesome. Yeah. So if parents want to buy the books, where can they get the books, Bethany? Heroesofliberty.com. And we're also on Amazon. Wonderful. Yeah. Bethany, it's been so fun talking with you today. Um, thank you for writing the book with Carol's Stolen Youth. I recommend all moms go out and get it. I'll be reading it on the beach this summer. Um, thank you for coming and talking to us about it. And thank you for fighting for kids. I think what American moms have realized is nobody's going to fight for our children like we are. Yep. And it's going to take all of us together um, fighting for the future of this country because America is a beacon of liberty and light across the world. And there are a lot of people that are counting on American moms and dads to raise the next great generation of patriots who are going to be involved. And so thank you for being you. Um, awesome, bright, shining light. 
And uh, thank you for all of the wonderful writing. So moms, go check out Heroes of Liberty for Your Kids, Stolen Youth, written by Carol Markowitz and Bethany Mandel uh, for you at the beach this summer. And we're excited to have you back at some point, Bethany, to talk a little bit more about your new Substack that will launch to help moms and dads homeschool. So awesome. 